Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning again. Why don't we open our Bibles to James chapter 1. We'll be looking at the book of James. This is our second Sunday looking at it. Uh, Sabrina will be opening up the word to us next Sunday, and we'll be looking at uh, James through the eyes of Sabrina. And then we'll be following up for a couple more Sundays. Such a wonderful book. And we're looking basically at chapter 1. And uh, so thank you, John, for the reading. It's a delight to look uh, through God's Word together. And this book of James is um, about insights for Christian living. And I love the book because it has a consistent focus of practical faith lived out. So it's about loving God and living for God. So it's a beautiful practical book. It's what I call the so what book. So um, I believe in Jesus. So what do I do now? I, I have faith. So what does it look like how I use my time, my money? How do I look upon others? So what do I do? It's a beautiful book. And it answers a lot of our questions. Many of you probably asked this morning, there's a lot of snow out there. So what should I do? And so we sent you all an email, and on the website, we put a cancellation notice to help you to know, so what should you do? So if you are, are washing, watching on, um, online right now, uh, you are doing what you should do, and that is to, to worship God in a safe place at home. And for the faithful few who made it here, uh, God bless you, and... Um, free Timbits for you next Sunday for being the faithful few who who made it here on this snowy Sunday. Looking at the book of James again, uh, James uh, is named after the Apostle James. James does not specifically identify himself, though. He doesn't say, I am James the, a certain James. And James is still a popular name even today. But it is through all the research and the great theologians of of our days, it's been determined that James is, in fact, the half-brother of Jesus. He is Jesus' brother. Now, he and Jesus, he's called half-brother because they share the same mother. They share the same mother, Mary. But Joseph would not be the biological father of Jesus where he would be the father of James. So we call James the half-brother of Jesus. James wasn't a follower of Jesus. For, the, for all of Jesus' life, he wasn't a follower. Can you imagine watching your brother go from town to town and healing the sick and raising the dead? It must have been incredible. Imagine if your brother was doing that. You, you'd, you'd wonder what's with your brother, that's for sure. Um, but after Jesus' resurrection, his death, his resurrection, and all that happened with the Holy Spirit coming, James became a follower of Jesus. Imagine becoming a follower of your brother that you grew up with. It must have, it's an amazing story and an amazing book. And interesting that the brother of Jesus focuses on faith lived out. It's really, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful book. Um, and as we're looking at James for the next few weeks, we're asking the question, what is James trying to teach us? As we read the scriptures today, thank you, John, for reading them beautifully. We ask ourselves, well, what is he trying to teach us? Basically, the book is, has four main foci, focuses. Um, one is actions during trials. 
Two is our treatment of those less fortunate. Three is the way we speak and relate to others. And four is the role that money plays in how we live our lives. Very interesting focuses for James. I love the book. I love these focuses. And I love to serve Christ in my life. I love to worship. And Paul, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. I love to worship, but I want to get out of here and live my life and let my light shine. Today, we are looking at James chapter 1. We're focusing on managing temptations. The Latin word for temptation is temptare, and it means to handle or or to test or to try. So it's a Latin word that we use in English. How do you avoid temptation? It seems as I look at the lives of people that I respect deeply, who are, are wonderful examples to Sarah and I in their lives, if your life is filled with doing good, you seem to have little time for doing evil. If your life is filled with doing good, there's little room, little time for doing evil. We read uh, Matthew chapter 12, 43 to 45 says, When an evil spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. When a house or a life is left empty, wide open, anything can come in. But if it's occupied with good stuff, evil cannot enter. And that's the same with our lives. If we fill our lives with good stuff, good things, worship, service, prayer, love, it's less likely that evil and the evil one will come in and enter. Romans 13, 12. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on, I love this, the armor of light. Are you covered in the armor of light? You are. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. That's that armor of light. We're in the daytime. As in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, again, this is Romans 13. Here's this beautiful verse 14. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Aren't those beautiful things? Armor of light and clothed in Jesus. Beautiful images. I heard someone say, I can resist anything but temptation. And I thought, well, then you can't resist anything. Because temptation is that which is difficult to resist. So the question today, to the vast numbers gathered here this morning, and to you on, uh, on TV, is what tempts you? Materialism? What's your key temptation? Pride? Self-centeredness, anger, sexual lust, gluttony, lying. What's your temptation? We all are tempted. We are tempted by something. Some of us struggle with one thing more than other. But we all understand what temptation is because none of us are free from it. And temptation itself isn't bad. It's not the temptation that's evil. Temptation means that the devil is after us. And if you've never been tempted, well, then I would love to talk to you 
and learn how you do it, how you are not tempted. I think if you don't sense that you're tempted, that you're, you're probably living in temptation because you just don't realize that's the house you live in. At one time, we were all dead in our sins because we lived according to our fleshly appetites. The ways of the world and the evil one who was at work in this world, he controlled our lives until we decided to follow Christ. Many of us here are saved. We walk with the Lord. But does anyone here put up your hand if you don't have any temptation? I don't see any hands. Even Sabrina did not put up her hand, and she is so perfect. We all know temptations. We all know temptations. So what do we do when we are tempted? Um, We'll look at three quick things. Number one, when we're tempted, don't blame God. Two, when you are tempted, do blame yourself. Number three, when you're tempted, do look up and run. When we are tempted, firstly, don't blame God. James chapter 1, verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. It's not God tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Temptation does not come from God. Are we together? Yes. Temptation does not come from God. We humans are pretty good at blaming others and God for just about anything. We don't take uh, responsibilities very well. We prefer to blame it on someone else. Imagine if this morning John said, well, my alarm didn't go off, so I didn't get the parking lot cleaned off, and I didn't get, I, I didn't get shoveling done. You know, my alarm. There are so many excuses. Here's some beautiful excuses for not being at work on time. Uh, these are real excuses. I was late for work because my grandmother poisoned me with her ham. I don't know. I don't know his grandmother. Number two, I can't drive to work because I poked myself in the eye with my comb. So I can't drive to work. Number three, I can't come to work until tomorrow because all of my underwear is in the washer. These are real excuses. I can't come to work because I have to get either a veterinarian or a mechanic because my cat is stuck inside the dashboard of my car. So I need a veterinarian or a mechanic. Uh, number one reason people use for not taking responsibility is the smartphone. The smartphone, which makes us not so smart. My phone ran out of power, so I, I missed your call. I didn't get your text. I lost your phone number. I didn't have the map to your place. My alarm didn't go off. A lot of people use their phones for their alarms. Um, I forgot our lunch appointment because of my phone. They are a favorite excuse. Now, so I'm talking to the grandmas and grandpas, particularly our our Tabor people. If your grandchildren say it's their phone's fault, it's not. It's their fault. It's their fault because they should keep their phones charged up and they should keep their phones working. We love to blame things and people um, for our mistakes. It's always easier to blame someone or someone else for our failures than it is to stand up and say, it was me and I'm sorry. People also tend to want to blame God for everything bad that happens to them. They say, God created me this way. I can't help myself. It's his fault. He made me this way. I I fall to these temptations because that's just the way I am. No. 
Um, this is just the opposite attitude. Remember the book of Job. His life was falling apart. He lost his home. He lost his crops. He lost his family. Everything was disaster. And in Job chapter 1, 21, it says, Job says, he's praying, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives. God takes. God's name is to be ever blessed. Not once through all this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God for all of these things that happened in his life. In all of Job's losses, he did not blame God. What a man. I know that many people would like to blame God for everything bad that happens to them, but that's false thinking. So blaming God is not a way to deal with temptation, to say, it's God's fault he made me this way. God cannot be tempted by evil because he is holy, he is pure, he's without sin. To be sinless is almost beyond our comprehension. I, I, I don't know what it's like. We have sinned so much and so often that we can't imagine what it's like. Uh, I was at David and Melanie's house and their beautiful baby, Jeremy. And when I saw this little baby in mother's arms, I thought, is this what it's like to be sinless? Beautiful, beautiful pure baby and then the baby started to cry and the baby David's baby can cry and when that baby cries I think the neighbors houses can hear it as well David they can hear that baby crying I'm not sure we're we're ever pure once we uh, once we leave the womb we're on a journey of uh, towards purity only when we are then with God C.S. Lewis wrote, How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. Holiness and purity is irresistible. Those who can stand up against temptation, it's not because they're boring, it's because they're powerful. And when you meet a person who is really striving to be pure in the eyes of God, they're irresistible people. They're incredible people. We live in a sinful world, in a broken world, and, and, and God didn't break it, we did. We need to be single-minded when it comes to standing up against our sins. A no is a no, and that's where we stand. Secondly, when tempted, do not blame anyone but yourself. Do blame yourself. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away from their own evil desire and enticed then after desire it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So it's this cycle that goes down and down and down and ends in death. Terrible. Each one is tempted by your own desires. So we're tempted by whose desires? Our desires. All that evil desire comes, it raises its, its, its evil head and it's within us. The New Testament calls it our sinful nature. And we all have it. None of us is immune. We have this sinful nature. And if we are put in the wrong place at the wrong time, we are tempted. We are tempted. Pastor John Piper says um, that sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. The power of temptations is a prospect that the sin will make me happier. Each one is tempted by their own evil desires. And the tempter says, oh, that's not that bad. That's what the temptation is. Well, that's not that bad. Um, it'll make you happier, so go ahead. It's not that bad. So what things tempt you? Um, shopping. 
Are any of you tempted to shop? You see things, you're tempted, something beautiful in front of your eyes, and you think, well, I'll just buy it. I can, I can afford it. Or there's room on my credit card, and I can hopefully pay it off. Um, the problem is it comes from the I want. All of these wants can turn into a, a type of idol worship. We want more and better material things. We want these things more than we want God. It's incredible. So the material things start to blind us. 1 John 2 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I love that one. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. So, most of our temptations come from these, uh, from First John there. Uh, the first one was lust for the flesh, and that's pleasures. Lust for the flesh. Lust of the eyes is materialistic desires. Your eyes want things, beautiful things. So, that's materialistic desires. Thirdly, pride of life. And that's the pride of to be appreciated or praised or glorified. This is where temptation comes from. Is there anything about our lives, our talents, our gifts, or whatever we have that, that isn't a gift from God? All of these things are a gift from God. We're so grateful for all the things he gives us. Our every breath belongs to him. And all of these things that we have, we need to hold them lightly. And, if need be, we need to give them away in love. Nothing is really ours. We, we have, we're, we're just stewards. We may have it for a little while. If you have a Toyota, you'll have it longer than you have some other cars because they last forever. But, um, but most things, everything is, is, is fading or it gets stolen or it rusts. That which lasts forever is our love for God and our service to him. Let's look at when tempted. What do we need to do? We need to look up to God and then run. Verse 16 says, Don't be deceived, dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like sifting, shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruit of his creation. Um, to realize God's presence is the one effective remedy against temptation. Realizing that God is there. In the midst of what we're going through, God is there. If we remember that God is beside us, walking with us, supporting us, then we have a chance of standing up under that temptation. We not only look up and recognize that God is here, God is walking with me through this, and he's calling me to a life of purity. But we also look up and realize that he is the way out of the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10:13 No temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Don't you like that scripture? It it, it gives us it gives us hope. He is the way out and he will provide a way out. There was a young boy, he was 10 years old, and he was trying to save his pennies in order to buy a baseball bat. And he was struggling, so he was praying at night with his mother, and, and uh, this is the prayer he prayed. He prayed, oh Lord, please help me to save my money for that baseball bat, and God, don't let the ice cream truck come down my road this week. 
We all need to pray a similar prayer. Lord, I know the right thing to do. Help me to stand up under the temptation. Help me to do it. And God promises that he will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And we are so thankful that he promises we will not have to bear more than we can. The scripture goes on to say he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And uh, let me tell you, when it comes to temptation, God is faithful. He helps me stand. And when he gives me wisdom, I stand and then I run. Once you've stood up to temptation, you've, you've met the temptation as you survive, don't stand there looking at it. Turn around and run. Run the other way. The Bible uses the word flee, 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with these who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We want to be a pure heart. And I think people who have a pure heart are good runners. Are you a good runner? There are some things in life which we simply must run from. Sarah and I came back. We were working in Africa, and we had come back to her grandparents' home in Bath in England. And it was summertime. And I had been in Africa, I think, for about four years straight. And... Um, it's a very different culture. It's a very conservative culture where we were living in East Africa. And in Africa, they tend to cover themselves totally. You're, it's a hot country, but in Kenya where we were, the women and men are well clothed. There's very little, uh, very little to see. No spaghetti straps, no short shorts, no, there's no skin. You don't see much skin. Maybe the face, but you're not seeing much of the body. Well, we went back to England in Bath in the summertime and we're walking down this main road in England and there was way more than I wanted to see there. I'm just, I was not used to seeing, I was not used to seeing uh, the human body very much without clothing. And um, I was uncomfortable. Uh, I, I didn't know where to look because uh, I was taught in Sunday school, be careful little eyes what you see. So, you, so I'm thinking, well, I shouldn't see these things. So Sarah's holding my hand, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of bowing my head and, and walking. It's a beautiful sunny day, and I don't know where to look, because wherever you look, it's something I shouldn't be looking at. I'm afraid I'm going to walk into a tree or something, because there's, it's such a different culture. And in summertime British culture, women like to have as little, and if you're British and you're watching this, we love British people, but please put your clothes on. Because I, I don't know where to look. It's, um, I, I, don't, I don't want to be tempted. I don't want to look. So I look the other way, and Sarah took me home. So it was safe at home. And I did enjoy the architecture, but it's so hard. It's so hard um, to keep my eyes pure. Reminds me of the, of the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Genesis 39, do you remember that story? Poor Joseph. Poor Joseph, he was serving in Potiphar's mansion. And uh, Genesis 39, verse 6 says, Joseph was a strikingly handsome man, something I can't necessarily relate to. As time went on, the master's wife became infatuated with Joseph. And one day she said to Joseph, sleep with me. This is Potiphar's wife. Quite blatantly, sleep with me. He wouldn't do it. He said to his master's wife, look, with me here, my master doesn't give a second thought to anything. Uh, that goes on here. He put me in charge of everything he owns. He treats me as an equal. The only thing he hasn't turned over to me is you. That was the wife. 
You're his wife, after all. How could I violate his trust and sin against God? So he, he was very forthright. He said, no. But she kept pestering him day after day after day. But he stood his ground. He refused to go to bed with her. Uh, verse 11, on one of these days, uh, this is, he came to the house to do his work, and none of the household servants happened to be there. Must have been a snowstorm. She grabbed him by his cloak, saying, sleep with me. And what did he do? I love this story. He ran and left the cloak in her hand. He just ran. He's a wise man. Very wise. Is it time for us to run? You know, Joseph, he knew it was time to run. It was a dangerous situation. No one in the house, just her. And she grabbed him and he just said, you can keep the cloak. I'm out of here. Are there things in life that we need to run from? Temptations that you need to run from? Things that you need not linger in front of your eyes? There are things that we need. In our, in our world today, we need to run from. From pornography. It's everywhere. Run. From anger. Brothers and sisters, we need to run from anger. From gambling. Run. From the lust for things. Materialism. Run. From pride. Run. From lying, run. Now, if you need help running, that's why we're in church. We're in training. That's why we are the body of Christ, and we teach each other to run. Please, let me help you run. Let me run with you. We have pastors, we have elders and leaders here. Let us teach you how to run. I am a good runner. God is good, and I'm in good shape. And I thank God every day that he is forgiving me and loving me and teaching me how to run. We all have the power with the Holy Spirit within us to look to God, to see the temptation, to stand up, and to run. So today, James taught us some very basic lessons when tempted, don't blame God. When tempted, realize it's yourself and you know yourself and what you're tempted by. When you're tempted, look up, realize God is with you, and then run. Can we do that? Let's be good runners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and that you walk right beside us. Father, we all know what temptation is like, and we pray that you would help us you would help us not to blame you, not to blame others, not to blame our cell phones, but to be strong men and women and to realize that it's our responsibility to live lives of obedience and purity. Help us realize that when tempted, that we have areas in our lives where we need to be sensitive. We need to turn the other way. Things we shouldn't listen to, things we shouldn't see, places we shouldn't go. Help us to be wise and strong and brilliant and to live lives that are glorifying to you. And lastly, Father, when we are tempted, when these temptations are right in front of us, help us be like Joseph and to just to run. Father, to look up to you, realize you're beside us. Father, run with us. And we thank you for our brothers and sisters in our church and around the world who, who dedicate themselves as brothers and sisters to run with us. We love you, Father. Thank you for the book of James. Thank you for 
the brother of Jesus who wrote these words to teach us how to live our faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.